Well, as you guys were singing, I was just contemplating the fact of just the years that the Lord allowed us to be here and um, seeing your faces. And some of you who have been in this choir for 18 years of our time here and others of you who are now standing in the place of others who came before you. And I think it's just one of those reminders of Hebrews 12 that says that since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every sin that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so I'm just encouraged by you guys, encouraging us to keep running that race. And so thank you guys this morning, Brother Todd. Thank you all. Um, Encouraging to hear. This morning we're going to be continuing our time in Luke's Gospel. So if you, I would encourage you, take your copy of God's Word, open it now with us, Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 57 through 80 this morning. And maybe as you come to this text today, have you ever wondered what was in the heart and mind of God to send his only begotten son? Have you ever wondered, like, what was in God's heart? Like, what was happening that God intended to send his son? As you begin this morning, I want to encourage you to contemplate the words of R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist in Memphis from 1927 to 1960. The same Bellevue Baptist that Adrian Rogers would later, beginning in 1972, pastor for 33 years But he speaks about the incarnation. He says this, and I I just want to quote from this morning as we begin preparing our hearts and minds of how Christmas shows us the heart of God. Listen to what he says. Christ, who in eternity rested motherless upon the Father's bosom, and in time rested fatherless upon a woman's bosom, clasped the ancient of days, had become the infant of days. What deep descent from the heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, From exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory place. In Bethlehem, humility and glory and their extremes were joined, born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swathing claws of poverty, no room for him who made all rooms. No place for him who made and knows all places. Oh, deep humiliation of the creator, born of the creature, woman. But in his descent was the dawn of mercy. Because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. Man, I think he uncovers the tension in our lives. We can't ascend to God. We can't. We are barred from heaven's gates because of our sin and our sin nature. And the reality is, not only are we barred from it, we don't long for it. But the good news is, guess what? In his descent, in the coming of Christ, is the dawn of mercy. Because we cannot ascend to him, he descended to us. And today we are smacked with a wave that reminds us, why would God come for us? Who is this God? And I think it comes as truth. The merciful heart of God is most clearly seen in the coming of Christ. The merciful heart of God is most clearly seen in the coming of Christ. Through this morning, the birth of John the Baptist, we're going to be reminded that Jesus' coming, it causes calls us to rejoice, to rest, and respond. To rejoice, to rest, and to respond. To understand the setting of our text this morning, let's pick up verse 57, and we'll read through 66, just to kind of get a little bit lay of the land of what's happening. Look at me, if you would, again, to the Word of God. Now the time came for Elizabeth, and to give birth, and she bore a son. 
And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And they, all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So Zechariah, who had doubted the angel Gabriel's words, right, comes that moment. And it's interesting, right? I mean, they're having to make signs to Zechariah. So the indication is not only, right, is, is he mute, he's also seemingly deaf. He can't hear, right? This is a great judgment of God that he's not able to even hear what his wife is saying. And so they make enough motions and signs that he gets this tablet and he writes, right? This is what makes it remarkable. He's not able to hear that she says, John, it's not like he's just echoing that. He can't hear. But then he writes the same thing and they're like, whoa. And then all of a sudden his mouth is loose and he begins to praise God. And so this morning we draw attention to say, well, what is this prophecy, this, this word of God that comes forth from Zechariah who's filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment and begins proclaiming? And as we look at that, we come to these three truths. And our first one is this, rejoice, God has come to visit us. Rejoice, God has come to visit us. Look what he says, verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. And Zechariah, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God, Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The Lord has visited and redeemed his people. That word visited is, is in a, a word of epic proportions. You see, back in the Old Testament, at Exodus chapter 3, Moses came and he encountered God there at the burning bush. Right? And God says, listen, I, I've I've come. I've come to redeem my people. I've seen their 400 years of slavery and bondage. I have come to deliver them. And, and so now Moses and Aaron, they go to the people. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, listen to how the people respond. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had, listen to this, visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. You see, in the midst of it, the people recognize this is God visiting us. This is God coming for us in the midst of our affliction and suffering. You see, they felt like maybe there was no way out of 400 years of bondage. Maybe some of you are there. It feels like there's no way out. Not this time. It's too deep. You've gone too far. It seems there's no way back home. Well, guess what? The people of Moses today had 400 years of feeling like that. And you know what else? The people of Zechariah's day, they've had 400 years of silence between when the Old Testament ended to when the New Testament in this day begins to dawn. 400 years of silence and waiting on God. But now Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to us, guess what, guys? God has come to visit us just like he did of old. He has now come in a greater and even more, more astounding way. And we can rejoice because look what he's bringing. Look what he says, 69 to 71. And has raised up for us a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 
Notice it says that he is from this house. So he's a servant of David. And the reminder is, listen, this is the one that's long since been prophesied that another, a future David, a greater David was going to come and rule. And his reign would, as the choir singing, his reign would be forevermore. Amen. It would never end. And so one aspect, though, notice of this salvation this, he's raising up a horn of salvation. Look, what he says, verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This is some sense of a political salvation that's coming. And this is what's hard, right, for the the people of Israel, because that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one who will emancipate them. Just as the people were brought out of Egypt in bondage, they want to be brought out of Roman oppression in a bondage. And there's confusion. Because if you go even to Luke chapter 24... It's Sunday morning, the resurrection, and they're on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus walks with them. And then they said, Sir, have you not heard all these things that happened? And said, What more? It's the third day, and we're hearing these stories of the resurrection. And they said a statement. We had hoped that he was the one. Had hope, right? It's past tense. Like, it's, it's gone. Like, he, he, he hasn't brought what we had hoped and what we thought would happen and what they didn't realize is their first and greatest deliverance is the same as you and me. What our first and greatest deliverance is, is that from bondage of sin. It is from captivity to Satan and doing his will. But guess what? The kingdom that was coming, as Adam read earlier, guess what? From Isaiah chapter 7, and also heard him echoing the words of Isaiah 9. Listen, this fulfillment of, of coming to set free all nations and all people. Listen to the prophecy. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of, listen to this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's what the choir is singing to you. Like They're like, hey, don't forget, these words are true. They're singing with all their gusto this morning, that you and I might not just simply hear it, but we feel it in our soul. That the world in which you and I live and occupy in is not eternal. That the wane and the rising and fall of nations and governments and kings and presidents and popes and pastors will all one day come to an end. And the ancient of days, the lion of the tribe of Judah will come roaring forth. And it says from this time forth and forevermore. And maybe you wonder and doubt. I think Isaiah thought we probably would. And he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The might of God. Thus, instead of being discouraged about what we don't know and what we don't always see in the midst of our culture and we long for these days and wonder when, we too, right? We live in the midst of oppression and injustice and all these things that we see unfolding in our nation and the nations around us. And we wonder, like, man, when will that happen? Guess what? We don't know when. But we should rejoice in what we do know. And that is that a new kingdom is coming with his rule and his government and his peace that will know no end. God, but guess what, guys? He not only redeems us collectively, right? I mean, as, as we think about the world and the nations and all of God's people, he also redeems our lives individually. I mean, consider who it is that's prophesying this moment. It's Zechariah. Zechariah, the guy who just a few verses later in this same chapter had heard from an angel, the angel Gabriel, who stands in the very presence of God, and yet he doubted. And because he doubts, guess what? His judgment comes, and so... Again, he's not able to speak. Likely, again, we understand he's not able to hear either. And so, therefore, guess what? When Mary goes to, to his house, it says that when she came into the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's Elizabeth that begins praising God. And we might wonder, well, where's Zechariah? He's quiet. 
He's experiencing the judgment of God. But guess what? God redeems Zechariah, doesn't he? Zechariah, God does, right? I don't know if the word's right, but again, he's the God of second chances. He's the God of other opportunities, new opportunities. And so listen, I don't know about you. Maybe as you look at your life, you think, man, I really squandered some opportunities I had at Thanksgiving this year, man. Man, I had family there. and I was just, ah. Maybe some of you, again, as you look forward, you say, you know what, Blake? I'm going to pray that this week might be different. That the Holy Spirit might give me the courage that I lacked at Thanksgiving. Because I'm going to see these folks again here in a few days. And I just want to love on them and share this hope that I have with them. For some of you, maybe writing a letter. Just reaching out to that family member, that friend. Or maybe going and sharing with a neighbor. For some of you, as you think about opportunities you've squandered, right? You think about maybe jobs that, man, just seem like, gosh, why didn't I? Or opportunities for education. Or maybe certain relationships. But, man, we are reminded here in Zechariah's story that God not only redeems us collectively, he redeems us individually. That God restores, as the Word of God says, the years that the locust has eaten. I don't know what it is that you feel like, man, I squandered and I messed that up. And I want you just to hope and rest in God today. Just rejoice in him. That Christ's coming, right? It's a reminder that God has come to visit us. Secondly, now we're called to rejoice, right, because God has visited us and brought salvation. Secondly, I want to encourage you and I, we are called to rest. We are resting. Why? Because Jesus' coming reveals the heart of God. I wonder, any of you guys, are any of you here, like you're the, you're the center brownie or like the center roll person? Like you're the person who goes through line and like you like dig out of the middle, right? And we get there and we're like, what happened here? Right? Some of you are those folks. Guess what? I think in some way, Luke is one of those type of folks. Why? Because you know what Luke does? He gives us like this, this list of words kind of leading into the middle heart of the passage. And then he gives the same list of words kind of retracting them back. Look, look if you would, just for a moment. If you have your copy of God's Word, it's going to be helpful. Look what he uses these words. Verse 68, it says visited. Verse 69, salvation. Verse 70, prophets. Again, verse 71, enemies. And then we have this heart of the passage, 72 and 73. That nothing mirrors it. But notice again how he exits the scene. And he uses the same words he's used, but just in that same reverse order coming back out. Listen what it says, verse 74, enemies. Verse 76, prophet. Verse 77, salvation. Verse 78, visit. What's Luke doing? He's pointing you and I to the center. He's saying, guys, I want you to see and to know the sweetness of this. And it's right there in verse 72 and 73 because there's nothing else that mirrors it. It just stands out unique from all the rest of the passage. And what happens here is, is that Luke is showing us this is the heart of God toward you and I. You've wondered, what is God's heart toward someone like me? The things I've done, Blake, the places I've been, the things I've said. What is God's heart toward someone like me? Listen to what it says, verse 72 and 73. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Did you hear what's at the heart of this visitation? What's at the heart of Christ coming? Hear it again. To show mercy. He said, I want to show you my heart. This is the heart of God. It is one of mercy. Now, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. But what do we deserve? Well, Romans 3 and 23 says that you and I are all sinners. Every one of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, listen, because we are created in God's image, we are God's image bearers. When you and I, when we lie or we steal, when we say those hurtful words, we have those wicked thoughts, when we act in those ungodly ways, we are imaging who God is. 
in a way that brings disastrous consequences to our soul. The same as if someone went out in this community and pretended to be you and did all kinds of wicked and evil things and you would be screaming to the top of your lungs, that's not me. Well, guess what? In the same way as you and I as image bearers of God, when we go out and sin, we are not imaging our God. And therefore, in his holiness and his justice and his desire to vindicate his name, he comes and he brings judgment. But what's in the midst of this, in the midst of our judgment and our sin, Luke says to us, again, as Zacharias prophesying full of the Holy Spirit, he has come to show mercy. He's come to show mercy. And how does he do that? By sending his only begotten son. He displays the fullness. If you've wondered, what is the heart of God toward me in my sin? Romans 5 and 8 says it clearly. But God demonstrates his love for you and I in this, that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ did what? He died for us. It's this desire of God to show mercy. Maybe you're doubting, is this really God's heart for you after all, again, the things that you've done? I want to encourage you today, stop leaning on your own understanding. Stop letting your emotions and feelings drive you. Let the Word of God be your true North Star. I mean, listen, here is mercy in His heart. Look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Again, he says, you want to know why Jesus came, why he visited, why he's come to redeem, why he's come to bring salvation? It is the tender mercy of our God. That word tender is an interesting word. It's the word that's used for, in the ancient way of speaking, bowels and intestines. And why would they speak that way? Because they're saying this is like the deepest part of someone. Like they're saying this is like, if you want to know what's deep down in the heart of God, God is opening his heart to you and I in this. And he's saying, this is my heart. It is one of tender mercy. Is that not good news? For all the ways that we've sinned and failed him, all the ways in which you and I have drug his name through the mud, things you've done back in your college years, or your teenage years, things you've done throughout your growing up years. Man. We can look to God and to the cross. And there is a heart of tender mercy. In other words, as you look at your sin, you will see an awful weight of guilt and shame that you can never escape. But the word of God compels us to take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. It's the hope of the gospel. Again, there's another reason why we can trust that this is truly God's heart. Look what he says again, back in verse 72 and 73. To show the mercy promise, look what he says here, it's promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Zechariah's piling it on so we don't miss it. He's saying this has always been God's heart. Like God didn't start being merciful when Jesus came. This has always been God's heart. If anyone was ever at any point, whether it's all the way back to Abraham or any point in the past, anyone was in a relationship with God, it was never based upon how good they could be. It was always based upon mercy. And grace, I wonder just for a moment, how many of our relationships are based upon grace and mercy? Maybe contemplate your marriage. Mercy and grace, does that define how you treat your spouse? Or is it based on performance? Parents and kids, kids and parents. Maybe it's with fellow church members. Is it based upon their performance? Or do we show one another mercy and grace? Like, does this define our heart? I mean, it's, again, this is the heart of God, and this is his promised faithfulness. But every relationship with God is always based upon mercy and grace. It's never about, like, again, 
It's not about merit. It's about mercy. It's not about grit. It's about grace. Like, this is the heart of God. So in Christ's coming, church, we have the greatness of God's merciful heart most clearly revealed. It was right before the Puritan Thomas Hooker died that one of his close friends said this. He said, Thomas, you're going to receive the reward for all your labors. To which Thomas Hooker looked at him and responded, brother, I'm going to receive mercy. Man, I hope that's, that's where your heart is set. Like, man, as you think about the horizon that is before you, I am going to receive mercy. Again, I don't know what you've been or what you've done or what you haven't done or what you've said or what you've seen. Again, the truth is all of those things leave you and I guilty and exposed. But the good news is that God's heart, his mercy is more. You can delight and rest in that. You can hear a fresh and a new Christ saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what, church? Gentle and humble at heart. That's his heart one of gentleness one of humility man that's a place that we can rest i wrote down might every believer in this room contemplate those qualities that i so cherish in christ are others seeing those in me or when we think about this church there's like the community like when they think about this collective body would they say man that's a merciful people that's a kind people that's a compassionate people that's a gentle people that's a loving people does that mean we don't compromise on the truth absolutely not not in a, a zillion lifetimes will you ever shrink back in fear because the Word of God warns us, anyone that shrinks back from this Word, he will not be pleased. But, beloved, our heart is one of mercy. Why? Because we've received mercy. Amen? It should transform your ticker. So this is a call to rejoice. Secondly, it is a call to rest. And finally, it is a call to respond. Jesus' coming calls for a response. Begin in verse 74. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Did you hear that? Christ's coming transforms the way in which we now serve God. He transforms our hearts and our lives. A person who's truly born again has a desire to serve. And listen, it's not just simply serving. Notice it again. The way in which we serve, the heart from which we serve matters. Notice what he says. Verse 74 and 5 are just... Yeah, that he might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's God's desire, that our serving of him won't just simply be the right outward actions, but will come from a right inward heart. That we would do it in holiness and righteousness. Maybe you wonder, what's that look like? Well, kiddos, man, when you are asked to help clean up your room or help on the farm or do the work that your teacher in the classroom asks you to do, do you find yourself doing it, but doing it complaining and arguing constantly? That's not the heart of one who's serving from one who desires to do it in holiness and righteousness. It is a desire to please God, and we please God by obeying those that God's put in our lives. And listen, we are to serve joyfully with a willing heart. And maybe you ask, well, what will transform someone's heart? It's the fact that we've been delivered. And not of our own work, but of his mercy and kindness and grace. You see, it's the mercy of God that moves our hearts to live and serve differently. It's Christ's work of delivering us and saving us that transforms us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that's why we sing, God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. 
to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. But maybe you still wonder, how am I to respond to this message? Well, look what he says, verse 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Notice how the salvation comes in the forgiveness of their sins. And that's rooted again, verse 78, on the tender mercy of God. It's his heart. The knowledge of salvation comes through the forgiveness of sins. And maybe you wonder, well, how do we experience this forgiveness? Well, listen to John himself preach in Luke chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. This boy, this, this, it's his boy, right? John the Baptist. Look what it says here, verse 3 of Luke 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear it from John? How do you experience forgiveness? By repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, but it's also a change of worship. The things that we once hated, we now delight in. Gathering with a church that once felt like a burden and like, oh, man, we got to do that again. It's a joy. Opening God's word isn't like, oh, man, I got to do that again. No. Oh, man, we get to open the word of God and hear from him and treasure him. This is this is it. It's a transformation that. God becomes first place in our hearts. And it's, again, through repentance. I want to ask you, have you experienced true salvation? In short, is there a true change of life? Have you? Now, I'm just being straight with you. The vast majority of people, they want salvation. They want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't want Jesus as Lord. They don't want to follow him here and now. And John says true salvation is that of a way of repentance. It is a way of humility, of bowing your heart and life to the truth of God's word and following him. I want to ask you, do you want Christ just as Savior or do you desire him as Lord? Because I want to be really clear with you. He comes only as Savior and Lord. That's who he is. John's preaching that. He's a bold, wild man that ultimately gets killed because of his preaching. But he would compel us. I could could hear him today if he were in the wilderness. He would be crying out. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let me close one more time. Respond to him because you may hear and think, man, this is just too much. Well, look what it says again as we end. Verse 78, 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Listen to this hope. Verse 79. This is beautiful. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Did you hear who this gospel is coming to? It's those who sit in darkness and those who walk in the shadow of death. Those are the words of Isaiah chapter 9. And he's writing about Gentiles, the unclean, those who are living wicked, ungodly ways, have no desire to follow God and his truth. And Zechariah says that I want you to know this salvation that's coming, this good news of the gospel, is to the dirtiest of dirty. It is as the words of Hebrews says, he can say from the guttermost to the uttermost. This God can do it, beloved. I, again, I want to urge you and compel you this morning, no matter what your chains are and your bondage, no matter what your past, no matter how your this past week has gone, the good news is Christ came to save. Hallelujah. You can leave forgiven, experiencing freedom and joy and no longer bound by those things. This is the hope of the gospel, and that is the very heart of God. And that's what Zechariah is declaring to us. 
So this morning, I urge the unbeliever to consider this day and hearing this word. Why? Because it's interesting. In Luke chapter 19, verse 44, Jesus says when he came, he says the people didn't recognize the day of their visitation. He says, I came and I was there and people rejected and spurned me. This morning, unbeliever, I pray that hearing this truth, that the Lord, by the power of his word, through the Holy Spirit of God, has come and visited you. And let you know the good news of being free from all of your sins and bondage and shame. And this is the heart of God. To the church this morning, I want to quote from Alistair Begg. I don't know if you guys listen, but I'd encourage you. It's 91.7, 1130 a.m. Central Daily on 91.7. But he says this about John the Baptist. He says, preachers, be yourself, but don't preach yourself. Be like John the Baptist. Prepare the way, declare the way, and then get out of the way. As a church, listen, we might today, we need to go forth declaring the way, preparing the way. Why? Because we know that just as our Savior came the first time, he's coming again. Amen. So we want to go out declaring the way, preparing the way, and then we're going to get out of the way and just say, Jesus, do your work. By the power of the Holy Spirit, church, let us go. Why? Because we live in a world of Ephesians 2 and 12 where people are without God and without hope in the world. And they're in your family and they're in my family. They're on your job site and they're on my job site. They are in this community, wherever you and I go, God is bringing them before us. Let us go and share the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. We praise you, God, that you will reign forevermore. We thank you, God, that this is the heart of God toward us. Yes, you are righteous and holy and your justice will come. But God, you have chosen to show mercy and grace to all who will repent and believe on this good news today. Father, I pray for the unbeliever that they would hear and respond to the visitation of God who has brought them here this morning to hear this hope, to the church this morning. Lord, I pray in response to your heart that we would go out declaring the way, preparing the way, and that we would simply get out of the way and let you do your work. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.